such a privilege to be with you all. I've, I've so been looking forward to being with you and getting to know more of you. I've known some of you for a while and had the privilege this morning of meeting a few others of you. But it's always such a joy to hear how the gospel is bearing fruit in all our various contexts. And there's nothing quite so encouraging, is there, than remembering that we share in this partnership in the gospel together. So thank you for allowing me to be with you today and to be encouraged. Well, before we go to God's Word again, let's go to the Lord in prayer, asking that His Spirit would quicken our minds and hearts, that He would bear much fruit today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the enormous privilege that it is to be your beloved children. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gospel. And Father, right now, we thank you that it is your good pleasure to instruct sinners in the way. Would you do your work in our midst this morning? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, it's certainly not the case that Every one of us here would say that our teenage years were miserable. But perhaps it's the case that many of us would. I would say, for me, at least under the surface, my teenage years were characterized by joylessness and spiritual angst. Some of the teenagers that we know and love are facing enormous challenges. They're facing circumstances that seem impossible an abusive or alcoholic parent, a friend or family member that is dying, the, the pains and hardships that come with poverty or physical disease, the, the overwhelming, like an avalanche, guilt and shame that comes after gross moral failure. And even the teenagers that come from our healthy, intact families in the church, they are severely struggling. And while inevitably there are some of the teenagers in our youth group who are numbed out to the realities of the world and are a bit apathetic, many of the teenagers we know are feeling the tensions of being a broken, bruised sinner in the midst of a broken, bruised world. And when they feel these tensions, it leads them to ask burning questions in their soul. They, they look at the circumstances of their own lives and they cry out, does anyone see me? Does anyone even care? Can anyone understand me? Do, does my life have any value? Or they look at the, thank you. Drop that. Okay. No, sorry. Circumstances. It's you know, that's what happens. It's my earring? It's so hard to be a woman. <laughs> Sorry, I really apologize. No offense. You can get an earring if you want. <laughs> so, so we talk about how they're looking at the circumstances in their own lives, or they look at the circumstances in the world around them, and they cry out, Am I all alone in this mess? Can anyone in this world be trusted? Will, will the injustices and the wrongs that I see all around me, will they ever be made right? We know teenagers who are asking these questions. Brothers and sisters, God's gift to us of Jesus Christ uniquely and directly addresses these cries of the teenage soul. 
One text in which we see the burning relevance of the incarnation for such soul ache is Luke 1, verses 46 through 55. That's Luke 1, verses 46 through 55. This is Mary's song of praise, what we so often call the Magnificat. And as we listen in on Mary delighting over the incarnation, we can see all the more clearly why the incarnation matters. And in particular, we can see why the Incarnation matters for struggling teenagers. Because this song comes from a teenage girl who knows hardship. I think it's easy for us to forget the harsh realities Mary was facing when she sang this song. She is in a precarious situation, a tight spot. When Mary sings these words, She is a poor, pregnant teenager, without a husband, in a stringent moral and religious culture. She's facing huge troubles, and she's bearing major burdens. And apart from her cousin Elizabeth and later Joseph, she would face this trouble largely alone. Mary's circumstances could could easily have led a teenager like herself into despair or anxiety, But when we see Mary here, she is bursting with song. How is this possible? Mary understood God's gift of Jesus Christ to be God's decisive answer to the cries of her soul and to the cries of the souls of all of God's people. And so, as we meditate on Mary's response to the Incarnation in the midst of her difficulties, we'll see how we ought to respond to the Incarnation in the midst of our ongoing difficulties. And then, of course, in turn, we'll be more equipped to lead others to respond rightly to the Incarnation. So let's read these words from Luke 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. The scriptures train us how to respond to the person and work of Christ, and this is certainly the case with Mary's song here. Now, of course, there's a sense in which Mary's song is unique. She she offers it in response to a one-time event at a particular moment in salvation history. There's only one woman who will know the privilege of physically bearing Jesus Christ in her womb. And yet Mary provides a model to all of us. 
So how should we respond to the person and work of Jesus Christ? First, we must believe the gospel. This song springs forth from the heart of one who has heard the good news of salvation about Jesus Christ and has believed it. Mary's faith in Jesus Christ leads to her joy in Jesus Christ. Mary trusts that the good news of Jesus Christ relativizes everything else, all the other circumstances in her life. The gospel takes center stage in Mary's heart. Take a look uh, at the surrounding context, and we'll see how Luke draws attention to Mary's faith so that we see that we must believe the gospel. In verses 26 through 35, Luke highlights Mary's faith. Now, of course, this is where the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and announces to her that she will conceive a child miraculously, that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and overshadow her. And Mary takes him at his word. She then offers her life to him. Look at verse 38. Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, when the angel Gabriel had appeared to Mary, he had assured her, he would give her a sign, he had assured her that her cousin Elizabeth, who was previously barren, would also miraculously conceive and give birth to a son. And Mary believed this sign, so she traveled to go visit her cousin Elizabeth, which we read about in verses 39 to 45. And this, what follows, is a sweet three months of intergenerational encouragement. An older woman caring for a younger woman in her moment of need in this special season in her life. But look, Luke draws attention again to Mary's faith. You see in verse 45 that Elizabeth says of Mary, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And we, too, are blessed when we take God at his word and when we believe that he will fulfill his promises to us. Now, this brings us to our second point about how we must respond to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We must rejoice in the gospel. Now, of course, our our two points are not unrelated. When we believe the gospel... We will rejoice in the gospel. True faith in Christ always leads to joy in Christ. Well, let's look closely here at the structure of Mary's song. Her her logic is rather straightforward. In, In verses 46 and 47, Mary tells of her praise, of her joy. And then in verses 48 through 55, Mary gives the grounds for her joy. So in other words... Mary tells us that her soul magnifies the Lord, and then she tells us why her soul magnifies the Lord. She groups her reasons for her joy in two broad categories. In verses 48 through 49, Mary rejoices because God has shown grace to her personally. And then in verses 50 through 55, Mary rejoices because God has shown grace to all his people corporately. So, taking our cue from Mary, why do we rejoice in the gospel? We rejoice in the gospel because God has shown us grace personally. 
We spoke a moment ago about the soul-level tensions that so many of our teenagers are experiencing. They look at the circumstances of their lives and they cry out, Does anyone see me? Does my life have any value? Mary rejoices because God has seen her. Look at the text. God has looked upon her. And God not only sees her, he sees her in her need, so he understands her. We see this in verse 48. Mary draws attention to her humble estate. And, of course, we see this later in verse 52. Mary doesn't minimize her needy condition. This is also evident in verse 47 when she refers to God as her Savior, acknowledging, of course, that Mary knows she's one who requires saving. Mary is not minimizing her needy situation. No, she's regarding her desperate plight as the very platform upon which God will show forth his mighty strength. God is not some distant being to Mary. He has looked upon her and he has helped her. Brothers and sisters, there are some of us in this room who desperately need to be reminded that God sees us. Perhaps this is especially the case for those of us who are in those lonely seasons that so often attend rigorous gospel ministry. It's it's such a privilege, is it not, to to care for the lives and the needs of others, to to pour out our hearts in in prayer for the teenagers we love, to, to listen closely to parents as they struggle to know how to love and nurture their children, to to look after and attend to the needs of our ministry staff and our youth volunteers. These are are high honors, and God is so good to us to allow us to serve him in this way. And yet, we can feel the costs of gospel ministry. And over time, we we can lose sight of the astounding truth of the Incarnation, which is that God sees us. And he sees us in our need. This God, this God whose name is holy, this God who who will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, this God is the one who sees us and knows us and understands us, and in light of that has taken action to rescue us. God sees our affliction, and he has helped us. But Mary also rejoices because God's action on her behalf has infused her life with significance. Look at verse 48. What does she see? Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. (laughs) From now on, all generations will call me blessed. God has bestowed upon Mary the, the unique privilege of bearing Jesus Christ in her womb. And yet, from our vantage point, on on the other side of the cross and the resurrection, we too know the blessing of union with Christ. However astounding it is for us to take in, let's ask that God would let this truth sink, which is that the intimacy that we know with God now, through the Holy Spirit, exceeds the intimacy 
that Mary knew with Jesus Christ here, physically bearing her, bearing him in her womb. How much greater ought our joy be? How much more profound our gratitude, those of us who know the ultimate cost our Savior would bear in order to do great things for us. Truly, when we grasp something of the intensity of God's affection for us, incontrovertibly manifest in the Incarnation, we understand that our life has value in the Gospel. But we not only rejoice because of what God has done for us personally, we rejoice because God has shown grace to the whole family of faith. Mary certainly delights in this glorious truth. And those of us who are investing our lives in the lives of others understand just how precious this is. We, we cling to the knowledge that God loves his own much more than we do. This, this gives us confidence in our gospel ministry as we intercede for those we love who are suffering. And those teenagers we love are certainly struggling as they look at the circumstances around them. And their souls cry out, am I all alone in this mess? Will, will wrong ever be made right? Can anyone in this entire universe be trusted? Well, will you look at verses 50 through 55 and see the relevance of the incarnation for such soul questions? In verse 50, we see that the gospel gives us the gift of belonging. We're, we're part of an ancient, everlasting family of faith. And, and we find our place and our purpose in God's history of salvation, which culminates in the person of Jesus Christ. And in verses 51 through 53, we, we see how God humbles the exalted and exalts the humble. The great reversal. Our mighty God scatters his enemies and conquers the foe while rescuing and restoring the fortunes of his languishing people. We, of course, see this clearly, this dynamic. We see it clearly as the Gospel of Luke unfolds. When Jesus Christ on the cross deals the decisive death blow to our greatest enemies, while all at once pouring out unimaginable blessing upon those who find their refuge in him. And we are a people who wait. We wait for that great day when Jesus will return again and make all things new. And then in, in verses 54 through 55, we see that Jesus is God's yes and amen to all his covenant promises. So yes, there is someone in this universe who can be trusted. God has utter integrity in word and in deed. And so we rejoice. Like Mary, we rejoice with joy that is personal and reasonable. Reasonable in that it's grounded in the historic realities of God's history of redemption. And we also rejoice with joy that is God-centered. Now, God-centered joy is not glib, Pollyanna happiness. We've said that Mary sings this song in the face of suffering. 
The woman who is rejoicing here is one who knows hardship, and she's rejoicing in the midst of it. Her joy is God-centered in its posture. She's, she's offering her worship to God, one who has grasped the profundity and the beauty of the truth that is God's gaze upon her cannot help but fix her gaze upon him and revel in the beauties of his character and in his ways. And Mary's joy is God-centered in its source. She's set free to rejoice in the first place because of a miracle of God's grace. And God's Spirit himself is the one who inspires and fans the flame of her joy. And Mary's joy is not only God-centered in its posture and its source, but her joy is God-centered in its very form. The very words that she takes up on her lips and the language she uses to praise God indicate that she has reflected deeply and prayerfully upon God's own speech about himself. Not only through the angel Gabriel, but his speech about himself in the scriptures. The roots of Mary's heart and mind are planted so deep in the soil of God's truth that she bears fruit that is saturated with God's truth. Mary's a biblical theologian. She's shaped her song in, in many respects to reflect Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2. Hannah's song that she sings in response to God's miracle of grace to grant Hannah, a barren woman, a son. And so Hannah's reflex is to rejoice with song as well. Well, Mary shaped her song after Hannah's song in large part to show that the son that is in Mary's womb, this son of David, this son is the consummation of all of God's covenant promises to his people from generation to generation. And Mary recognizes this. She sets her hope on Christ in this way. Please notice that Mary's biblical rootedness enhances her joy. It strengthens her ability to rejoice. And the case is the same for us. The more time and attention we give to knowing God in his word, the greater will be our joy. And we will serve our teenagers well if we train them to know God in his word, and their joy will increase. Personal, reasonable, God-centered joy. This is the fruit we're looking for in the teenagers we serve. The, the evidence that they have grasped something of the magnitude of God's mercy toward them in Jesus Christ. And this is the fruit we're looking for in our own lives. May I also suggest that God-centered joy can be the most productive aspect of your ministry. Too many of us are playing it cool. We, can, we can't leave youth to this kind of joy unless we are cultivating this kind of joy in our own hearts. But there are many obstacles in this regard. 
It may be that we're so allergic to anything that seems cheesy or gimmicky that we hold back from demonstrably magnifying the Lord and publicly celebrating the gospel. It may be that we're more deeply affected than we know by the cynicism in our culture or the cynicism of our teenagers. Maybe we'd rather maintain some sort of social credibility with them so that we don't want to risk our standing as the cool youth leader. But Christians are optimists, regardless of our personality or our native disposition, because we believe that we are embedded in God's divine comedy of redemption. It may be that we are so aware of the moralism in the Christian culture around us that we blunt the force of the gospel's imperative to rejoice. We fear moralism more than we fear God, and so we shape our theology accordingly. But brothers and sisters, we are to believe the gospel, and we are to rejoice in the gospel. This is how we are to respond to the Incarnation. Just as Mary's God-centered joy in the midst of her hardship testifies to us today, so your God-centered joy in the midst of your ongoing hardship will testify to the youth you serve more than almost anything else you do or say. May it be so. For the glory of God and the good of those teenagers we love with all their burning questions of the soul. Let us pray. Father, we rejoice in the gospel this morning. We cannot take it all in. Your mercy is too great for us to comprehend. But, Father, we taste your goodness today, and we are satisfied in your love. Would we go forth from this place all the more eager to proclaim your goodness to those we serve? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
To learn more about gospel-centered youth ministry, please visit our website at www.rootedministry.com. Music has been provided by High Street Hymns. You can access their music at www.highstreethymns.com. Alleluia, alleluia.